You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to head around the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, and preview Monday Night Football between the Eagles and the Redskins. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former top draft pick and now NFL Network analyst David Carr. David, we appreciate you taking the time. So let's go back to last night. Once the Patriots jumped out to that 17 nothing lead and the fog came in at Gillette Stadium, it felt like the game was effectively over. No shame, certainly, in losing to New England on the road. But what do you think the Falcons' biggest issues are this year? Well, I mean, honestly, watching that game, I couldn't help but feel frustrated as a quarterback and just talking about it a little bit with you know, some family and friends and kind of looking at the situation. And Matt Ryan was the NFL MVP last year, and it's not like he – went out in the off season and didn't have anything to focus him up. I mean, they, they went down and, and got beat by the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and you would think that that would motivate him even more. So I look at it from a player perspective, and they, if they're not the same team, they're a better team on paper. And the only, the only thing that's changed is the, is the play calling and the offensive coordinator. And that's the hard part because, you know, as a player, you do everything you can to prepare and to go out and you want, you want a little redemption, you're going back up, you're playing the team that, you know, everybody, we see the 28-3 to 3 signs everywhere. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Um, we got to go have a good showing. And so I have a hard time believing that this team, from a player standpoint, I mean, you see Julio Jones, just the anger in which he took that ball away from Butler in the end zone at the end of the game. I mean, these guys are, these guys are a proud group. They're a good football team. And right now, for whatever reason, it's not clicking on the offensive side of the ball. And the only variable that's, that's any different is, is Sarkeesian being there. And, and I don't think that he's a bad play caller. I, I think that if you think back, um, you know, to when Kyle Shanahan was just getting started with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, you know, forever was a guy, you know, that liked to, liked to be in the line of scrimmage, was in a lot of three wide single tight end, single back, called a lot of it from the, from the line of scrimmage himself. And Kyle Shanahan came in and he started doing some bootlegs and changing the scheme up a little bit. There were a lot of questions. And it took a little bit of time. It took an entire offseason for them to kind of come together and make something happen. And we saw what they did last year um, pretty much an, an all-time high as far as just offensive football. I mean, they were – that's probably something Atlanta might not ever see again, what they were doing last year. Now, they still have the same players, so that's where the frustration lies. And you want to see that happen right away, you know, but you kind of have to ask yourself, okay, where, where are we? What, what, what can we really do this year? And really all we have right now is, is a little bit of patience to see if Sarkeesian can figure this thing out before – before it's too late because they are a talented football team. It would be a shame to have this, this football team go out there. You know, honestly, I think the defense played okay. I mean, you're in, you're in New England. That could have that got into the 40s easily with the way the offensive played uh, yesterday. So I, I don't think the defense is, is to be blamed. I think that it's just they got to find some rhythm and some consistency on offense, and you got to get those playmakers involved, and you just got to find a way to finish drives, and that's, that's, pretty, much, that's pretty much where they're at. Well, getting the playmakers involved and in, 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 in making plays, uh, that that's the big part because there were a couple times in the end zone when missing Sanu, uh, when missing Julio Jones yep. when they were open. You know those touch throws you have to make in the in the right corner of the end zone. They just weren't made in the play yep. call. You know cannot make those plays for you, Dave. But 
if sure. you talk about a, a a quarterback that makes some plays, um, and that for right and as of right now, no excuses are being made. That's out there in that part of the country you're in right now with the LA Rams. Uh, the young kid in Jared Goff. I mean, how good is he actually playing right now? And and how much you're buying into the notion that now having a new coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a matter of fact, even head coach. Sean McVay, as well as Wade Phillips, is now actually turning a complete round, opposite of what we're seeing with Atlanta. Well, just being out here and, and uh, obviously sitting right over here by you know, Culver City, I mean, and you're in Los Angeles, and you just wish this would have been the Rams that they brought last year, you know, because, man, it would have been, it would have been fantastic to have this arrive here and for this up-tempo, exciting offense led by a young head coach. And, you know, you got a, a number one draft pick in, in Jared we wish that would have been here last year. We don't have that. What we have is a team that looked pretty pretty rough last year, and now Sean has come in and he's given them life. You know, talking to Kirk Cousins uh, in the offseason, saw him at the Super Bowl in Houston, and I just asked him about Sean uh, just because, you know, he's, he's coming out here, he's going to be a head coach. What do, you, what do you expect from the guy? And Kirk told me in the elevator, he said, I, I'm going to miss him big time. He's a fantastic coach. Jared is blessed to have that guy calling plays. So that made me feel good coming from another quarterback. And then now, now that we've watched them the first couple of weeks, and I still hear people, and it's natural to kind of be cautiously optimistic about this football team, but, you know, I, I just see them getting stronger each week. And, you know, defensively, obviously, they're going to be nails. It's going to take a while, you know, the changeover from, you know, from the front they've played last year now to where they are now with Aaron Donald trying to find a place for him. And I think they're coming into their own. They played pretty good um, uh, last week. And so I think that, offensively, it's exciting to watch. It, you know, it's not just trying to find a way to get, you know, Tavon Austin the ball 20 different ways. It's everybody is involved. And, you know, five or six guys are, are rushing the football. you got seven or eight guys touching the ball, catching passes, you know, each week. So it's exciting, and Jared's playing with a ton of confidence. And as you know, if you got confidence, your play caller is going to get you in the right position. You can let it rip. And, and that's what he's done this year, and there's not been any questions about his his arm strength or his ability to make throws in this league, that's all kind of gone away too. And it's amazing what happens when you get a guy that, that you feel confident in is from a play caller standpoint, it's going to send you in a play that's going to, you know, it's going to highlight what you can do and highlight the, the talents that you have around you. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited to see them going forward. Rams five and two heading into their bye week, taking you around the league with David Carr, NFL network. Check him out tonight. NFL total access six Eastern getting you fully lined up for Monday night football. David, go back to last year. Matt Moore held the Dolphins together when Ryan Tannehill went down. Could Moore do the same thing this year if Jay Cutler misses some time with the rib injury? I think so. You know, I was I was actually in Carolina when Matt left Dallas to come uh, play with the Panthers, and uh, I was there for his first start. I actually got hurt. He came into a game in New Orleans. I came back in the game and ended up winning, but from the very first time I saw him step on the field, the guy's fearless and uh, he's a good friend. He's a great football player. I think that he can definitely hold his own there. We saw what happened yesterday when he went in. I mean, there was a little bit of a spark. And this isn't to say that people don't want Jay Cutler in or the team is not confident in what Jay Cutler can do because I think they've actually been playing some decent football the last couple weeks. But, you know, you just saw the energy level bump up, and Matt is not afraid to throw the ball down the field and take chances. Now, can he get you in some situations where you might turn it over a couple times? Yeah, maybe, but he can also make some big-time throws and big plays, and he's an experienced guy. He's been around for a long time, so... I have no – I'm not I'm not nervous about Matt going in there and, and taking this thing over. I think that they're going to play excellent football. I don't see any drop-off happening. Um, honestly, if they weren't going to sign Jay Cutler, I thought they were going to be just fine with Matt, you know, after Ryan Tannehill's injury. So 
uh, you're kind of right where you thought you'd be anyway if you weren't able to sign Jay. So I think that they're just fine, and they're, and they're starting to get a little bit of a role. And I think that if you hear and you listen to the players, you know, what they're talking about down there, I think they feel like they've, been, they've gone through a lot of adversity, and it's made them closer. And they feel like it's just them against everybody else. They don't think that you know, everybody else doesn't think they have a chance. So I think that you know, there's a lot to be said for that, too. So it'll, it'll be interesting to watch this team go forward as well. When speaking of a chance, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, I picked them to win the division from the beginning, but Aaron Rodgers is not in. We saw Hundley yesterday struggle not being able to throw over 90 yards in the passing game. How much are you buying Minnesota even more now if you thought of them or didn't before uh, having a chance to win this NFC North division? Yeah, when you when you look at it, and then you got the Chicago Bears. You know they don't even throw the ball ten times, and I mean that's great, and you can win games like that. I saw, I saw John Fox do that in Denver with with Tebow. They went three straight games where he, I don't know that he threw it over you know eight or nine times, and they found a way to win. Can you can you win a division like that? I don't know, maybe. And uh, they're going to try and do that in Chicago, but Minnesota just on on the defensive side of the ball. You know I really like I really like what they're what they're doing. Um, I think I think they still have you know McKinnon can still make some plays at running back. He's a, he's a spark, a guy that I think can be a pretty good football player. Uh, obviously losing Dalvin Cook is hard, but uh, if you can get Sam back and healthy, I think uh, with the defense you know getting after the quarterback, the Everson Griffin. I mean the guy's a monster. I mean he's just he can get a sack whenever he wants to. It seems like they're gonna have to find a way to really focus on taking him out of game plans because he's he's been ruining football games the last last few weeks. So. I think the strength of Minnesota's defense, when I look around that, that division, I don't see another defense like that. I know it's not in Green Bay. Green Bay's strength was their quarterback, and right now, you know, Brett Hundley can only do so much. He's just not. I don't think he's he's going to be able to overcome a lot of the holes that they have on that football team, uh, kind of like what Aaron can do. So, and, and Aaron was doing everything he could, and, and still still weren't quite there yet. So I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them. And then you don't know what to get out of Detroit. I was optimistic early on. Um, but right now it's kind of shaky. So I think Minnesota's looked pretty solid on defense, and then offensively it's going to have to be another year where you try and create some offense, try and find a way to get some guys healthy and make some plays, but I think Minnesota's the team to beat. David, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for joining us again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it. Thanks, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. Touchdown! From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the issues in Atlanta with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, as always, we appreciate the time. Many teams lose on the road at Gillette Stadium. Patriots are the reigning world champs, but what concerns you the most about how the Falcons lost last night? You know, I think it's still, I think it's still similar. Some of the stuff that have hurt you in the last two or three games, and whether it's the missed tackles, whether it's the turnovers. Lucky enough, you didn't have any turnovers in this ball game, but uh, the lack of execution in key moments was big in this ball game. Uh, I thought on both sides of the ball, the Falcons struggled really, really badly on third down. In the first half, the offense was 0 for on third down, 0 for 6, I believe it was. 
on third down. And defensively, they had a tons of third and long situation. There was a even a third and 16 one time in this ball game, and they converted for 19 yards. There was a, a chance where you get off the field with the interception and you get the personal foul with the, with the late hit by Adrian Claiborne. Just the little things like that that add up in the ball game. And like you just mentioned, you're going to Foxborough. You're going to a place where New England hardly ever loses a ball game. I know they lost a couple this season, but it's a tough place to play. Big-time game, spotlight, national. Everybody's looking at it. It's a Super Bowl rematch, and you just to show up in those key spots. And definitely when you hurt yourself, it's uh, much harder to win in a place like Foxborough. You mentioned how the team struggled on third down. Um, DJ, it was 2-9 and nine on third down. Uh, this is what I will yep. say. If you go back and you look at this schedule of this football team, and you and I have had myself, all of us uh, on this show, we've talked about this team and how they've gotten away with a few games. And in particular, let's talk about, talk about week one. Uh, it was a couple throws in the end zone. If they make the throws against Chicago, uh, this team yep. wins. We get a call. That was a very close call where Golden Tate knee touched the ground simultaneously as the ball was crossing the line. It favored the call to the ref saying it wasn't a touchdown. Right now, you're looking at a team that could have easily been one in five. As crazy mm-hmm. as it sounds. They beat yeah. Green Bay handily, of course. That was a good game. They beat Green Bay. But if you really look at this, for me, as I mentioned to you before, they can't finish. And last but not least, they're missing throws in the end zone and in areas where Sanu and also Jones, Julio Jones, those balls would have been caught any other time, but they're missing each other by a yard or two. What's the issue? Is it Sarkeesian and some people trying to lend themselves to think that's the reason or this team and these players are just not converting when needing to? You know what? I think it's a little bit of both. I think the blame can be equally on the play call as well as the guys on the field. And we we know that's kind of how everything works, you know, in this day and age of, you know, you have to execute the plays that are given, but I still think there are times where this offense doesn't look anything similar to what it looked like. Last year, and coming in, there was all the talk. Sarkeesian was going to keep everything the same. They were going to try to run sort of the same stuff, and they wanted to stretch the field more. They're lacking in that now. They're lacking in that big play capabilities right now. They don't have many explosive plays. And coming into this New England game, New England had gave up 26 passes of 20 yards or more throughout the season, where they only gave up 44 last year, and the Falcons weren't able to, to, to get any of those big plays going in this ball game. It's it, it, and I look back on it and I watch some of the tape on, on the Falcons and just the creativity is not there as it was last year. Obviously, I think Sarkis is still trying to find how to use all these different weapons. They're talented enough where they should be able to turn this around. But right now, I don't think the continuity is there right now, especially offensively, to score all these points and make the, the right decisions. Even, you know, Matt has looked like he struggled some at times, missing guys like you mentioned, missing throws, missing some plays where you thought he should – uh, make them so it's it's just one of those things that this team is going to have to find a way to fight through it and right now they're in a tough stretch and right now the only people who are really believing them is the guy that's inside that locker room and they got to find a way to come out of it they play the game next week and the Jets who have played everybody tough it's going to be they gave the game away to Miami last last weekend so the Jets are not going to look down on the Falcons they're going to say hey this is a team that lost three straight we got a chance to get us a win so they got to find a way to regroup and they got to do it fast Taking you around the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, how much you buy in the Saints that people can talk about the good fortune of matching up with Brett Hundley in his starting debut? He had less than 90 passing yards. Still, New Orleans, four consecutive wins, sprinkled in there, their first shutout over Miami. 
since 2012. Are the Saints legit in your view? I still want to see more of the Saints. Uh, obviously, when you have Drew Brees, he's going to be a guy that's going to keep it every game. I know he threw a couple of picks early in that ball game, but he bounced back. The the big surprise for me has been the Saints' defense. They've been able to to create some turnovers. They've been able to get after some people. Uh, they've been aggressive in the, in the front end of, of their defense, and I think that's the real difference for the New Orleans Saints right now. I still want to see what happens, you know, a little bit down the road, and once they really get into division play and. That's really going to be the story of, of the season for them. But right now, uh, I don't know why you can't buy them because they're just winning games. And when everybody else around the league is not doing it, they're at the top of the division right now and playing well. So if they can continue on that, they would be the surprise team in the NFC South for sure when everybody thought they would be at the bottom of the NFC South and those other teams are the ones who are bringing up the rear right now. How much are you buying the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, right now you – you see what they've been able to do um, now that they've implemented a running game that's that's given them a chance to really be really, really good. You have T.J. Yeldon, who was a back that actually came in and actually got it done yesterday, going nine rushes, rushes for 122 yards. I mean, it's like Chris Ivory, uh, Leonard Fournette, and now T.J. Yeldon, who's been there for some time, finally getting his daylight uh, to be able to run a rock. Blake Bortles, he went out 18 of 26, threw one touchdown, put up 330 yards against the Indianapolis Colts team. But because he's been so ineffective over the years, can't you say at some point in time it's confidence with the 10 sacks they got on defense, the running game playing as well as they have been all year, and now he's kind of finding his way? Do you think he gets confidence as time as, as the year goes on and end up being a better team in the AFC South? Well, if they want to be that team, he has to be the difference. And for all those things you mentioned defensively, after the after the last couple of years, all the money that they have spent on the defensive side of the ball to get those type of players over there to compete, not just in the NFC South, but around the entire league, they're about due for that. And you knew it was only a matter of time before that defense got rolling and they were playing at a higher level. And now you add what you just mentioned, the run game with Blake Bortles, and then you add some consistency with Blake Bortles then you have a chance to really be competitive. Then you have a chance to show people why this is not just one of those teams that was a franchise a long time ago and they're not good anymore. This is a team that can be really, really uh, special if Blake Bortles continues to play with the same consistency he played with on yesterday. Now, if that happens, you continue to run game, you continue to develop Ben Fournette, you continue to develop defensively, turn the football over. That secondary is a ball-hogging secondary. They get after you up front, like you mentioned, with the sacks. This could be a very dangerous Jacksonville team, and people will have to be aware of what this team is about. But it all depends on Blake Bortles staying consistent for 16 games and not having those lapses that we've seen where he goes out and throws two, three, four picks a game, and then they're back to square one. And, DJ, because I've been picking the Jaguars each of the last five years to make noise and been burned, I have to point out, for the record, Bortles did lose a fumble in Indy because that's what he does. He's a turnover machine. Let me get you to Tampa Bay. I may or may not have selected them to go to the playoffs this year. I don't remember. I was all in with the Buccaneers. They're 2-4. and four. What was your outlook coming into the year? And, yes, they played well in defeat, lost in the final seconds at Buffalo. I guess we should be talking more about what's working for Tyrod Taylor. We can get there if you want. But what's the issue for Tampa Bay? Because think about all the splashy moves they made in the offseason, adding talented right. players like Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, B. Well, I was with you. I was on the same bandwagon. I mean, you look at how they ended the year last year. You, know, you, you talk about a very confident Davis Winston. You watch the hard knocks and you see 
how competitive he is. You see how hard they work in practice, the leaders that they have on that team. You say this is a team that looks like they're destined to go and play some good football this year. It just hasn't happened for them. And James Winston is one of those quarterbacks that continues uh, to get better. He played really well, I thought, uh, yesterday. Their defense has been a little up and down uh, throughout this season, but I still think this is a good Tampa Bay team. And they're another team similar to the Falcons who, once they get into division play, I think that's when it really matters. And you talk about what Tyrod Taylor's done. He's done nothing but just not turn the football over. He's been consistent. He's made plays for him. He's yeah, he's the guy who everybody thought about was not going to be throwing the football down the field. He's the one stretching the field. He's making plays with his legs. He has been a dependable player for Buffalo, and we know how good their defense is. So you add that with a quarterback who's consistent week in and week out, and is not just a manager. He's going to make plays for you. That makes a very good Buffalo team. So that's a very good team. Uh, that they were playing against. But I, I still expect Tampa to make a run here and, and really pull together, too, because just like Atlanta, they got tons of talent on that offense. They got tons of talent on that team. You eventually think Dirk Cutter and his staff will find a way to get this Tampa Bay team rolling. When teams lose the Super Bowl, you've heard the narrative, uh, you've heard the theory that there is a such thing that's called the Super Bowl hangover. Do you think mm-hmm. this team make it back to the playoffs? They have the Jets, who we know can play good football on any given Sunday because that's right. what they've been doing very, uh, in a very sneaky way. Uh, then you have Carolina, Dallas, Seattle, Tampa, Minnesota. You know the schedule. Do they have mm-hmm. enough in the tank with all that talent to be able to make a credible run to make it to the playoffs? Quarter, I, I really do. I, I believe they do simply because – I said it a couple times already. They haven't even got into division play, and I think it's going to come down to division play. And you, obviously, you haven't played well against the AFC right now. Three out of your last four games, you, you lost to them, and you got the Jets who you ended with. But for the rest of the year, you're going to be playing AFC opponents, and then at the end of the year, I believe it's four out of five. Your last game versus the NFC South opponents, you win your division, you have a chance. And I still believe. They are so talented on both sides of the football. They will find a way to get this moving. And if anybody knows Dan Quinn, you know he's a guy who they have what's called Truth Mondays. And they get in front of the entire uh, team, and they point out every single thing wrong, and everybody is held accountable. And this is what this team needs. So to look in the mirror, Gordon, you've been in this spot before, look in the mirror and say, hey, you have to be better. we got to find a way to be better. Right now it's crunch time, and I believe Coach Quinn will have these guys uh, playing at a, a better uh, level, uh, especially down the road now, especially going into the Jets. You, you got Carolina after that. But this is a team that I know will get it together with the leadership they have and with the tons of talent they have in the leadership on the top end with Coach Quinn all the way down. They're finding a way to get it done. DJ, I do not believe in personal accountability, so I took all the mirrors out of my apartment. I just walk around in the <laughs> dark that, and feel DJ. very good about myself, that. man. Don't do that, man. You got you got to take responsibility for it, baby. No, man. Come on. I have a stylist. They brush my hair for me. <laughs> DJ, enjoy your week. We'll chat with you next Monday on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, fellas. You'll be good. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. TuneIn puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. 
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for my partner to let loose as we find out who he wants to metaphorically slash. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension, a competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your chin strap because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. Before we go negative, let's accentuate the positive in Los Angeles. Chargers are playing much better football, and you could argue they've been in every game. I'm not going to do the they should be undefeated story, but got to watch games. This is a pretty solid team led by the defense, making three consecutive wins. Anthony Lynn's team now 3-4, and four, and he reflected on the victory after the game. Yeah, yeah. When we started out 0-3 and, and nobody flinched, we started out 0-4 nobody flinched. I knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. On the other side, Vance Joseph is 3-3, three and three, but don't give him the Bill Parcells mantra, you are what your record says you are. Absolutely. I feel we're better than that, but it's the NFL. You know, you are what you are. We are 3-3 three and three right now. Three wins, three losses. We've earned them all. Now let's get to the heart of the matter. Watching that game in Southern California, Trevor Simeon could do virtually nothing right. Post-game, Joseph was asked, did he ponder a quarterback change? It's a two-score game for for most of the game, so why make a change when we're still in the game? It's a two-score game. You know, we had some good plays called. We missed some. Um, again, we had three turno- uh, turnovers on a day, which is way too many. We had a punt return for a touchdown, which is which can't happen. Um, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't simply on Trevor. You know, it's a two-score game. So you know, I felt you know up until five minutes ago, you know, it, it, it was a game we could have won. Now, Cordell, Vance would never say this, but if he was going to be candid, he could have pointed out, you want me to put Brock Osweiler on the field? How about that? I'll tell it like it is. I know they have limited options. Paxton Lynch is still injured still. Here's the negative trend. They have scored three touchdowns in their last four games. To put that in context, the winless Browns have five touchdowns over the same span. Here's what's coming up for the Broncos. At Kansas City, at Philadelphia, home for New England. Is it time for a quarterback change now? It's the easy thing to do. It is the easy thing to do when you look at your defense and say the defense is total defense is number one, number two against the deep against the uh, run defense, uh, and in the pass defense is number six, top ten, like top six when it comes to all those categories on the defense. Offensively, they're just the opposite right now. I mean, here it is. You have the seventh int thrown by Trevor Simeon with a desperation throw in the later part of the game to try to figure out the outcome of it. I'll say this. While this team right now sits at 3-3 and second in the AFC West, there's still life in this football team. I know expectations were high. It was the thought that the energy of Vance Joseph could come in and rally the troops, particularly on the defensive side of the football because he's a defensive-minded coach coming from... Miami being a defensive coordinator, and of course, as the road traveled, the, taking the road traveled throughout the National Football League, he's been the defensive-minded guy. But offensively, Mike McCoy hadn't created much of anything, especially when it comes to Trevor Simeon and his approach of, of how he's been playing the game as of lately. I know he feels like the pressure is on him because everything else is, else is good but him. But I'll say this. 
while this team is sitting here at three and three, if there's a team that's in this position right now that you can say at some point in time the the ignition can be turned on, uh, the, the the plug can be plugged into the socket and the wall and have electricity flowing throughout this entire team, the team that I would say amongst them all that are struggling and showing forms of struggles uh, in some category of their team. To me, this is a football team that at any moment is just a quarterback that you need to get to play football. Because as you alluded to when leading into this, you asked a question or said that Vance Joseph couldn't ask the question, a subliminal question. What do you want me to do? You want me to go to Brock Osweiler? And you know what 99% of the people in that room would say, including him without even saying it? No! So I would say this. Being that they're second in the AFC West right now, Uh, There's no reason to jump the gun too fast or I would say even jump off of the ship too quick because you have to be careful for what you ask for. I know Brock Osweiler said this is probably one of the top two, three places in the world for him. And he's back there after leaving, going to Houston and Cleveland and getting a second chance to be there in, in Denver, one of the most beautiful places in all of this country. He's excited to have that chance to be back there again. But there's a reason why he left and had to come back. Thing is now, do you stick with Trevor Simeon and or even wait until Paxton Lynch is healthy to get suited up to maybe be back in the mix? Um, I would say I would pick the very first one I mentioned, which is give this thing some more time. Give this thing some more run. They're not out of it. Trust me. They're three and three. Right. But go through that schedule. You don't want to seem as if you're, you're becoming, let's just say, like, you're about to sound in about 15 seconds, which is... No panic. He's not playing good football, Corral. Nope, not doing Nothing that. Nothing looks good. They had a, a donut, what, over 394 games was the last time this team wasn't able to score a touchdown. The panic button has been pressed. And, and, I'm just and reading the schedule. The panic button. Go ahead. At Kansas City, at Philadelphia, home for New England. They're 3-3 three and three now. They're going to be 3-6. and six. That, see, that should take there again. The panic button. No, no. Ah, it, it's ah, called data-driven Weber, analysis. Two Bs has pressed the panic button, people. I He's can read the schedule. They're going to lose the Kansas game, Philadelphia and New England. Uh-huh. I don't care who you put in. They're going to lose them regardless. Let's just be transparent. So are you telling me Brock Osweiler goes in and he plays better? He gives no, you a better not. chance. Oh, so chance. now, oh, boom, shakalaka. We have a great one here. Now Brock Osweiler is the savior. No, no, no. That's what Brian Weber is saying about He's Brock better Osweiler. better than Trevor Simeon, and let's not be revisionist with our history. Denver had offered him big money initially. He got more money from Houston, and he how'd did not want out? to play in the shadow of Peyton Manning's legacy. And how'd that work out in Houston? Obviously, it was a disaster. And but how let's was not it in pretend Cleveland? that John Elway didn't like Brock Osweiler. He drafted him coming out of Arizona State. So, so how there's did confidence it in within that organization. So now is the Brock Osweiler. So now you're the Brock Osweiler fan of the year. I'm. The backup the has always been the most Trevor attractive Simmons. quarterback on the roster. He is always the easy way out. I am not buying it. You have been slashed for sitting here saying Brock Osweiler should be starting and get rid of Trevor Simeon. After all you've said about Brock Osweiler, Brian Weber, Weber with two Bs, you have been slashed yes. because I would not right now go with Brock Osweiler. I will sit there and follow where we are, stick to what we're sticking to, not press the panic button, and prove to the team that we're not actually willing to persevere through some tough times 
But yet, let's just make a, a, a drastic change to sit Trevor Simeon on the bench for, literally for the rest of the year. Let Brock Osweiler be the starter. Get Paxton Lynch prepared to be the backup behind him. So now Trevor Simeon goes to the third spot. I am not creating that type of headache on my team. He stays in your slash for wanting to go to Brock Osweiler because that's the only answer you have. How do you feel about that, Brian Weber? Go ahead. I'm bleeding. I have to call the nurse here <laughs> and get a little bit of medical attention. Well, let's get into X's and O's. How does he get better? Because the numbers offensively are hideous. How they score some touchdowns, my man. We got to talk to Mike Mike McCoy. I think we have to figure out which strategy is he he's using differently than what it was the first three weeks, maybe two to three weeks to now the last three weeks. The question is, how are they using how are they using the running game to set up the play action pass? Okay, Emmanuel Sanders. Is it Emmanuel Sanders in the mix? How many receivers, starting receivers, start line in the start lineup with the Denver Broncos as of now? Okay. Yesterday they were missing Emmanuel Sanders, three other wide receivers, and they're starting right offensive tackle. So let's favor the level of transparency in this. Trevor Simeon is not necessarily the GOAT when it comes to what he could do on the football field. I would say from a from the standpoint of what you needed between he and Paxton Lynch, Trevor, even Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon was the better answer. Now, it means everything around him had to be, I would say, pretty darn good. So now who do you, who do you end up favoring more? Demarius Thomas? Because maybe the lack thereof of other players on this roster to help and also an offensive lineman that's injured? Now, all of a sudden, how do you actually come back and create an offense that gives your quarterback, Trevor Simeon, an option? to be able to get the football to someone, to a group of players. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, at the end of the day, before we jump ship, let's just make sure that we're really giving ourselves an opportunity uh, to be able to go out and be productive with the pieces that we once had. Let's, let's just look at this right now. The leading receiver yesterday, you know who it was? A.J. Derby, the tight end. Mm. They're struggling. This has nothing to do with anything on – this has nothing to do with me overall with Trevor Simmons. Yes, he's the quarterback, and yes, he needs to be a little bit more productive. But when you're looking, he's in the matrix. He's taking the blue, the red, and put them together, and the purple pill. And he's somewhat right now in the matrix. But if you look at the injuries that they have on this roster, especially at the receiving core position – and also an offensive lineman here and there. Some of that, sometimes that stuff at the, rece- at, the, at the offensive lineman position, you can mask a few things. Maybe put a fullback beside the, the left tackle or whoever tackle that is that's injured. Maybe have a different, let's say, formation. You can, you can have a way to, to create a diversion uh, uh, as far as the chipping is concerned by the backs as they go out in their rocks, out in their rock, excuse me, their routes, rocks, their routes. Uh, to make those defensive ends understand you're just not going to have a field day on our inexperienced player that's now filling in for one of our starters. You can do that kind of stuff. But when you lose your receivers, when those are the guys who are your playmakers on this offense, you have to then ask yourself, even as an analyst or even a coach or even just a, a, a teammate, like Emmanuel Sanders was one of those playmakers when it comes to being a deep threat that they don't have anymore. So now you're asking Demarius Thomas to be that guy that he's not, which is a downfield threat to that extent by himself without having his partner in crime on the other side of the field in Emmanuel Sanders. So, again, Brock Osweiler is not going to make it any better. 
You sure Kansas about that? City. You sure about I, that? I guarantee you. Okay. Kansas City, Philadelphia, and also New England. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go off of even your analysis of Brock Osweiler since he left. Right, since he, he left. I'm Houston. talking about what he did in Denver with that defense. There's nothing wrong with This is a totally different team. A game this, manager. That defense is, is exactly the same. But this is a totally no different approach. zone in totally the secondary. You still got Vaughn Miller. You have Mike McCoy, okay. who is now calling the plays. All right. You don't have Gary Kubiak, right. who he was with, with also having... Peyton Manning in the mix. I understand that. Okay, so now all of a sudden, this is a totally new offense. They're not this running not even they the run same and offense. shoot. It's not Mouse Davis. I'm watching how the play calling goes. I watch games on Sunday. It does not look that radically well, different. You can watch, you can I know Gary Kubiak was run first. Now. I get it. It's still professional football. So at the end, so it's professional football. So when you have Eli Manning struggling, you want to get rid of him and put Geno Smith in? No, you don't. You stick with it. You stick with it because if you make this type of move right now with an offense that you have, a defense, excuse me, that you have that's solid, you have pieces that are missing. It's not going to be copacetic as you once may have seen it early on in the year because there's a level of inconsistency across the board offensively. There's a level of deficiency that's taking place that's not causing his offense to be as efficient as they was, as they were, excuse me. So now when you really put this in perspective, perspective for Pack for packs for uh, Trevor Simeon, excuse me, you end up having to ask yourself this question. Does he have everything he needs on this offense? We make these excuses for Andrew Luck. So I'm going to make it for Trevor Simeon. What does Trevor Simeon have on offense from a target standpoint that he actually can throw the football to, let alone protection? Okay, but you can't compare him to Andrew Luck because well, Trevor can, the Simeon scenarios. was it's, never it's, supposed okay, to it's be the, the NFL. quarterback. It's professional football, remember? I just said that 30 seconds ago. I know, Trevor so I'm Simeon. saying it again for that scenario as well. So when you have that scenario, that situation, you have to ask yourself this question. The scenario that he's in, does it give him a chance to win? And ask the question, is Mike McCoy putting his offense in a position to, to make the moves? Brock's, Brock Oswald is not the answer. Okay. All right. He is not the answer because he's been garbage from your conversation when he got to Since Houston he and he went to Cleveland. Denver, I believe in him in Denver even with but a new play caller. this is not the caller. same system. It's the same team. Oh, Don't oh, screw God, it up as go. a quarterback. All right, okay. You've been footnote. slashed because you're going to Brock Osweiler and you're dead talk. wrong. You it's not going to work. You didn't get my larynx, unfortunately. The audience has to deal with me for the last 20 minutes here. I know they do. Give me but this fundamental not, it's not going to work. Fundamental truth. The title of your autobiography would be a great holiday gift. What's the landing page? I'm trying to it's sell your don't book. put Brock Osweiler in dot com. Cordell, let's just concede the point. Trevor Simeon was never supposed to be the quarterback in Denver. He's nothing more than a backup. A nice story. He was a seventh round pick out of Northwestern. It was supposed to go like this. Once Peyton Manning decided to retire, Brock Osweiler was the heir apparent. John Elway offered him a lot of money. Houston offered him more, and he didn't want to deal with the legacy of Peyton Manning. And how that work? Then out. they traded up to draft Paxton Lynch who was scheduled to and forecasted to beat out Trevor Simeon. He couldn't do it. So if you believe in competition, the better man won. But Trevor Simeon, in my view, was never supposed to be the starter. So let me see. So he's an Ivy League. No, Northwestern's not Ivy League, unfortunately. Northwestern, he's okay. He's he's one of the better academic schools in the country. Right. But we're not talking about algebra, but keep going. But, I mean, that's what we do sometimes. We have a tendency to talk about who's good and who's smart and who's not. So I just want to follow your narrative every once in a while here. So he went to see a smart kid. 
Uh, they drafted him the time in which they did. Seventh he was round. The next kid Seventh up. round, nobody they, else wanted to draft right, him because right. he was so, limited and hurt. So now he's limited, but back then when he was fighting for the position, he was serviceable to play. So now, because they're struggling, so now we bring up all the information. We go through his bio to say why he shouldn't play right now, but Brock Osweiler should. But at one time, we didn't want Brock Osweiler to play or think he could have played. I told Brock Osweiler to stay in Denver. League, so now we want him to play. Hang on. We were on the air that day, and I said Brock Osweiler was making a mistake. Stay in Denver. Better situation. Less money, better football team. Well, that sounds good, but that was this. Here's a scenario you have in Denver. How many players we end up seeding, see, watch leaving Denver once Peyton Manning left? Defensive players. How many of those guys end up leaving to the point where we started creating situations and said, okay, if he goes out to Houston with this team playing, doing the miracle, the carousel of quarterbacks. Okay, and the sample, the seven games of, of football that he played when he went to Houston, uh, when he was in Denver and had a chance to go to Houston, I think most were saying this may be a pretty good situation. But once he got on the football field and he started playing, then you had to actually give your analysis on what you saw. And it was average at best in what? A new system in Houston, a new system in Cleveland. Now we have Mike McCoy, another new system. But because it's Denver, it should work. All I'm basically saying is, is if you're going, why do you think they haven't made that move yet to Brock Osweiler? You tell me. You know Vance Joseph. I think because, he's being because stubborn. Because Trevor Simeon gives them a better you. chance to win. All right. That's why. They're just struggling. How many teams have we, all right, so should we go ahead because they had two losses? And I know you say, we're talking about the Denver Broncos. No, but I got to give this scenario. They just drafted the young kid coming out of college by the name of Patrick Mahomes. Should we just get rid of Alex Smith? With the narrative we have around him because they lost no, two games in a row? the Chiefs are scoring touchdowns, Cordell. The Broncos are not. So why aren't the Broncos scoring touchdowns? I asked you that question 10 minutes ago. I told you Mike McCoy. Okay. And I'm going to say the so quarterback. So it's not, it's not we'll Trevor Simeon. To disagree. How about that? We'll agree to disagree. And here's that's my right, thought. That's right. On your but I'm friend. just amazed that you're going to Brock Osweiler when you I ha- killed I have Brock no choice. Osweiler for I have so no long. choice. That's how bad it is. I have to go to Brock <laughs> Osweiler. And finally... And this is not a criticism. This is an observation. And the audience may not know because the audience always changes. You grew up with Vance Joseph. You've known him since you're, what, 12 years old in New Orleans? Less than that. Dear friends. Okay, seven. But friends have nothing to do. No, I, like how you throw, I like you to pitch that in there. No, no, that, that has nothing that, to do with that, it. That is the that has precur- zero to do with precursor what I said, to my statement. All we, all we did, uh-huh. all we did was, is we talked about the quarterback decision. Right, and I'm going to tell position. you why he's not going to change quarterbacks. No first-year head coach with no prior head coaching experience wants to be viewed as panicking. So he's going to stay. But that the is course. a panic move by any coach but right not now. At this point, some, yes, some decisions is. make themselves. Listen, John Elway is calling those shots out there. You better believe it. You know it, and I do. If it was time to make the move, the move would have been made. They know what they have in Brock Osweiler. Ain't happening no time soon, boss. Sorry. I don't care if Vance Joseph's the first year, half a day, 30 seconds. Doesn't matter. If, if Trevor Simeon is that bad, that move will be made. And for me right now, it has nothing to do with the first year head coach Vance Joseph being there. This has to do with this is not the time to press the panic button. This is not the time yet. The defense is playing too good. They just have to become a little bit more efficient on offense, and it starts with the offensive coordinator. If you don't get it right at some point in time, yes, there will be a move, but I don't think the move should be made right now. Not to a Brock Osweiler, not at this moment. I'm not buying, no, I'm not buying that one. You can have it. We can agree to disagree, but I'm not going with that one. Okay, we'll agree to disagree, and now... How about my Jaguars? Although I gave up on them, right? Oh, so I can't have yeah. them back. Now let's go to this conversation. <laughs> this is going to be really good. You think I was heated up on the last one. Let's go to this one. Go ahead. All right, but this is not a pro-Jacksonville <sighs> observation. This is what's going on in Indy and the two 
are coupled based on what we saw the Jaguars do yesterday. They're now four and three going into their bye week. And Cordell, they were comprehensive in their attack on the road, and they did it without Leonard Fournette. Jags now got to the 10 sack tally for the second time this year. It's never happened in the NFL this early for a team to get to 10 sacks twice this soon in the season, dating back to the 1985 Bears. So the Jacksonville defense is good. Conversely, Indy can't get out of their own way. First time they were shut out, dating back to 1993. Now three losses by 27 points or more. Before we talk about the negatives in Indy, let's give credit to head coach Doug Marone, who was the interim head coach last year. Now he's got the full-time gig in Jacksonville, but he's not resting on his laurels. I think that the, the team came out and they, they performed well. I still think there's a lot of things we need to work on. I think that the bye is going to help us, you know, be able to, to, you know, get some guys back and get rested up and, you know, take a good look at ourselves and, you know, how we're going to, you know, make sure that we can put ourselves in position to, you know, to, to play good football, you know, in the, in the rest of the season. Jacoby Brissett is a mobile quarterback. If you watch the game, he was running for his life behind a makeshift offensive line. And let me say it again. Jacksonville's got a very good defense. No excuses from Brissett after the game. Is something wrong with us? I mean, I mean, people lose all the time. You know, what I mean, just live, play another day. You know, we got a got another game uh, come next week. You got to be ready to go to work tomorrow. Let's leave it to Eugene T. Y. Hilton for telling it like it is. He was squarely setting his sights on the offensive line. We got to um, take some pride up front and, you know, block one, you know. What if we put them back there and take those hits? So uh, we got to start up front, man. Once we get a low line going, back in rhythm, we'll be fine. I think that sums it up, Cordell. Bob Kravitz, friend of the program, has been writing columns in Indianapolis for decades. His latest column is tough for Chuck Pagano, I think, the process, but we'll talk about the merits of it. Kravitz says Pagano should be fired now. It's time for a in-season coaching change, do you think there'd be any value in making that move today? Imminent is the word. Imminent is the word you use for Chuck Pagano. I asked him how was he doing spiritually when we actually went out to the owners' meeting tomorrow in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I think it's at that point right now where there, there's a move that has to be made. This team is underachieved, whether it's through the surgery, the surgically repaired arm, of his quarterback and Andrew Luck um, and, and, and the expectations of him coming back to uh, just a multitude of things. And you know what? Some of the things are truly out of his control when it comes down to wanting to pay a quarterback that kind of money. In my mind, uh, when your team is struggling across the board for his personnel is concerned, and now you, you're, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place of, of – of, you're between a rock and a hard place on how you how much leverage, let's just say that, you have to be able to grab certain players. And so the hand that was dealt was one that is what it is right now. And and not having Andrew Luck on the football field, in my opinion, wouldn't wouldn't even I mean, it would have a a better performance and maybe effort on the field. But I think when you look at this roster overall, um, for me, it, it just would have been a total struggle, struggle across the board. Think about this. Ten sacks in this last game. One team, one quarterback, ten sacks. And Brissett can move. Can you imagine yeah. if he was immobile? He would have been sacked 15 exactly. times. Exactly. And then you think about what took place with the Houston Texans when they played in the first game, and that was against two quarterbacks, Tom Savage and also uh, Deshaun Watson. So when you – and they had six and four, combination of a total of ten in that one game. So this is, what, the second time that we've seen his team 
getting 10 sacks. And when you look at the yards, total yards, Jacksonville, 518. Indy, 232. Look at them on fourth down conversions. 0-3. Third down conversions, 5 of 15. I'm doing a numbers game just from the standpoint of how do you give yourself an opportunity and also two INTs, excuse me, how do you give yourself any opportunity to have any form of success uh, when it's, when it's, when at the end of the day, when you see all the issues that you're having uh, and not being able to, let's just say not being able to correct those issues, mainly because of the lack of, let's just say production by the players up front. The players on the, on, on the outside, players in the backfield, quarterback position, defense, and the message may be lost at this moment in time. So uh, for me, when I look at this and I see what's going on in India, and I'm not saying it with a loud voice or projecting on this one, uh, but this is one of those cases where you have to make this move. Um, and, and, and the question becomes, when does the move become the right move? Is it now? Is that the halfway point? Do you see how this thing works out? all the way throughout to, to the latter part of the season. Um, if you want to, you know, because if you make the move, the team's not going to get any better. That, that, that's what has to be understood. It's not going to get any better. Uh, you know, how do you handle the Andrew Luck situation? You know, is that going to get any better once he steps on the football field? He's the leader of the football team. I know some say no, don't play him. I say yes, put him back on the football field when he's healthy and ready to go, regardless, and, 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 and give the fan base uh, something to look for when it's time to spend their money to come and watch this team play. Um, but if there's a time to do it, um, I would say just just go ahead on and make the move right now and get ready to move forward into your future uh, for what it is for what it is for what it is you want to do with this football team. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. There's a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're Old Dominion. We're all we written in the same. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not giving more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton, bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan, cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record and let you know what we are more than sure is going to happen on Monday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. This matchup all about quarterback play, so let's hear from Kirk Cousins guiding the Redskins. I think that's why you play in the NFL is for games like this coming up, to play against a really good team at their place and have a chance to, you know, put yourself in the hunt for the division and, and in the NFC. And, you know, we got to measure ourselves against really good football teams, and the Eagles certainly are one. So we'll look forward to that challenge. A minute left in the program, partner. You go first. Who wins tonight and why? Man, this is, this is one of the, the tougher ones because Washington was coming on very well and Philadelphia is just playing lights out right now. I think at home, Philadelphia takes advantage of the momentum that they have traveling on the road to Charlotte to beat the Carolina Panthers and all the other teams they did. Uh, I think the momentum they have is in their favor. Like Garrett Blunt, I think it's a big dose uh, of the football to try to 
let's just say, uh, minimize what that front seven can do because they're pretty darn good. I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they win this game. Let's go 27-17. Okay, I think it's going to be a two-score Philadelphia victory. They take it 28-14. Remember, no Josh Norman. And the Eagles have been flying high offensively. Watch for another game out of their playmaker, Zach Ertz. Have a great night. Enjoy the football game. We'll talk about it tomorrow right here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.